Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of 2024. This is the Motormouth Podcast, a Motormouth Media production with me, Tim Sylvie. And alongside me for this one is the fabulous Tom McCluskey. Uh, before we get into it, a reminder that we now know the date of our next Motormouth Celebrity Charity Cart race. Uh, it's at Wilton Mill, the 30th of May. Booking is open. Head to www.motormouthcartrace.com and book your team of four. We then give you a fifth celebrity driver and you'll have over three hours of karting action some show cars hot laps and some mega machines uh food drinks competitions trophies lots more last year we had a team from janetta they took the win just ahead of a team from aston martin f1 but you can be anybody with a group of friends colleagues or randoms any level is welcome honestly if you've carted loads of times or never carted in your life you're welcome to come and join us and race with the stars. Hopefully, we'll see you there. Now then, today's show, Lawrence Barreto. He completed a journalism degree before working his way up through the ranks to travel the world with Formula One as a writer and presenter. But what has that journey been like? And how is it really once you land your dream job in Formula One? Could this actually be one of the best jobs in the world? I really hope you enjoyed today's show. If you've got any questions, feel free to get in touch through our socials or send me a voice note to ts at motormouth-media.com and we'll respond in a future episode. For now, let's go and meet the man who's about to get very, very busy in the lead up to car launch season and then the season itself. Enjoy this conversation with Lawrence Barreto. So I guess we're going to start off with kind of who is Lawrence Barreto. We we like to look back before looking forward, right? And you're a shy child by by all means. And and what do you think kind of shaped that? And how do you think your 
the way you grew up and the person you were when you were younger has shaped the the person from a professional and personal level, I guess, today? Um, I think it's because I've always been a nervous person. Um, I don't really know why, um, because my sister's the complete opposite and my parents aren't shy at all. Um, but when I was younger, um, for whatever reason, I just felt shy when I was in school. I felt a little bit different, so I was a bit shyer. Um, and I think that probably shaped my whole school life, maybe even college life as well. But on top of that, I was kind of because I was so shy, I wanted to keep pushing myself. And so I tried to put myself in situations where um, I would stress myself out to see how I would cope with them. And obviously I do that in my day job now, but it was kind of, I wanted to see if I could, you know, pick up the phone and call people, you know, and, and ask them questions. And that's how I started when I was at uni. I remember I called Bernie, I found a number for Bernie Eccleston. And I just called him and I remember being so nervous and sweating profusely and, but I did it and I built myself up to doing it. And he was actually very pleasant. Um, and we had a great chat and I remember I had 30, 40 questions, um, ready to go. And I went through those in like three minutes because obviously he gives you like two or three word answers, but he would always, he would stay on the phone and he wasn't trying to get off the phone, but that's kind of just an example of like how I'm kind of a, I guess I'm a bit strange because I'm genuinely, genuinely quite shy, but equally I like to push myself. Um, and then the right scenario, when I've got the confidence, I can be less shy, obviously. So, so you, you phoned Bernie out the blue and we're like, listen, yeah. mate, this just got a few questions for you. And, and he, he was just <laughs> like, baffled, I he, like was, it. he was just like, yeah, okay, go on then fire away. I'd like to blame it on my youthful innocence that I just didn't really maybe comprehend what exactly I was doing but I figured I'd managed to sort the num source the number right and maybe part of me thought this isn't genuinely his number so maybe he won't pick up or he won't recognize the number and he won't pick up but he picked up within like one or two rings I remember it being near near instantly you know sometimes you think oh the phone mm. hasn't even rung properly and um it was like hello who's this <laughs> that was a terrible Bernie accent by the way and uh, so I just explained uh, who I was, what I was doing and stuff. And he was like, well, go on then. And so, in, so then we just had a chat, really. It probably, the call wasn't, I don't know. It was more than eight, eight to 10 minutes, I would have thought. But um, I don't think I really, really, until I dealt with Bernie properly in like a professional capacity when at Autosport, BBC and, um, uh, and F1, I don't think I realized how good eight to 10 minutes was with with Bernie. Yeah. So actually, I don't think I realized that at the time. Um, so good. Yeah. But that feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. 15, 16, 17 years ago. I, I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said for people who these things don't come naturally. I mean, part of the reason I started making videos in the first place was because I wanted to get better at talking and articulating myself like, and I felt like making videos was a good way of doing that. And there's plenty of other people that people will know mutually who I know, you know, really they're on the camera now and, and they're broadcasting now, but that was not, they weren't that confident child. And I almost think, yeah, having that tenacity to acknowledge that, I guess, um, weakness in your arsenal in terms of what you can, you can offer. And that's why I started making videos. And it sounds like that's why, you know, you, you had to push yourself. You didn't, it didn't just come easy, but I think when it doesn't come easy, it almost makes you kind of value it more, I guess, and, and work harder for it. Definitely. I can really share that Tom. I like, cause I can see why you'd want to do those videos. And that's why I pushed myself a uni to make radio shows and like nothing anyone would listen to like in big numbers, but just to go and see if you could do it, but also to test myself to see if I sounded good. If, if what I was saying was interesting 
to people like just you kind of I wanted to see if I was good enough before going and telling someone I was good enough to do it if that makes sense yeah it's uh it's it's quite impressive really when you think about it because being a shy and retiring person um to to push yourself into those awkward positions is such an unnatural thing to do and not something that most people would do so there's obviously something in your mindset and the way the way that you're built that allows you to do that what what for people who are listening because we've got a lot of younger listeners who often want to get into Mm -hmm. motorsport what is there any advice you could give them i mean is it just a case of you've just got to sort of you know buckle up and go for it you know not worry about what people think you know what was your secret that allowed you to take that step and pick up that phone um i think i had a couple of things i think my parents were really supportive so i think they they didn't know anything about the media really in terms of a career they weren't sure if it was a, a safe bet really my mum was uh, in banking my dad was in it so they're very like quite um mainstream careers but they kind of said well just go and try it keep keep going keep pushing doesn't matter if you don't make it and I think having that support of my parents helped me go and take those risks I guess because if it didn't work out I knew I wouldn't be in trouble but the other thing that kind of um really helped me was as I was going through uni I found uni really dull like from a lecture point of view like I just I found it uninteresting so what I really liked about journalism or my degree was going out and talking to people so I think I remember I would go out and I'd interview like grandparents older people because they're always the more comfortable people to talk to when you don't know who they are because they'll just have a chat to you and then I would get you know do stories for like a local newspaper and then I would go and I'd go out and I'd maybe go to a restaurant that I remember there was a restaurant that was closing I went in there and I just had a chat to them and I didn't go in there with the idea of making a story out of it I just wanted to see if I could go and chat to someone and didn't know and ask them some tough questions And uh, they were really pleasant about it and actually wanted to be interviewed. So I kind of, I think I just wanted to test the water a lot and go out and talk to people because I knew I wanted to work in Formula One or sport at some point, but I just wasn't sure in that really early phase how I was going to get there. So I thought the best thing I can do is kind of get my confidence up talking to people because you you guys know how important that is in our career. It was kind of understanding how to formulate questions, which... I thought really, really early on was really easy because I thought, well, you know what you want the story to be. So you obviously, you know how to ask a question, but actually form formulating a question and then a series of questions and building an interview is actually a really difficult thing. So I think just going out and in your everyday life and kind of thinking about those things when you're engaging with people really helps. And then you can kind of finesse where exactly you're going to go with that skill set because ultimately in formula one in motorsport in any industry i've worked with people my my feeling is people just want you to be able to do the job so if they give you a task they want you to be able to do it so if you are confident enough to go and talk to people to pick up the phone say i've got a contact in this area or that area because you've been confident enough to do that i think that will that will be the best way to get your kind of foot in the door yeah and there's, and there's, I suppose there's a difference for me anyway, there's a difference between shyness and confidence because I can be quite shy in a social environment or with people I don't know in a social environment, but put me in an office, I'm absolutely fine. Or, you know, talking to someone in a business capacity or you're doing something at work, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing, isn't it? I suppose you can almost detach yourself from your normal day-to-day personality and persona and just be who you want to be in this in this work persona um but it's 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 fantastic what you've done um 
motorsport though what what is it about motorsport and formula one in particular that's drawn you in over the years i mean we can see i presume you're in your your flat or your room mm-hmm. there you've got a picture of a, a red ball behind yeah. you there's motorsport bits and pieces around what is it about the sport that got you so hooked um i started watching formula one with my dad i was seven or eight um it was that 94 season between schumacher and hill and he would just watch it all the time it'd always be on the telly i remember early on i wasn't that fussed about it um but then I sat down and watched that Australian Grand Prix. And obviously it was a, an incredible event um, when Schumacher and Hill collided. Um, and I just was fascinated about the why, you know, Damon was so furious, why they had that contact, you know, the kind of storylines that were unfolding in, in that race weekend. And then my dad was like, well, if you're interested in that, why don't we go to the touring cars? So we went to the British touring cars. He took me to events at Silverstone, to Thruxton, uh, Brands Hatch. And I was fascinated by the racing aspect of it, being close to cars. I always thought like road cars, automotive cars were pretty cool. Um, and then I had a good bit of go, go-karting because I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll be all right at go-karting. And it turns out very early on, I wasn't any good at go-karting, even though I'm really light. And people keep telling me <laughs> you're light, so you should yeah. be good. And no, I, I'm proof that that's no not true. <laughs> that's just not true. Um, I played computer games. Like I think I had Grand Prix 2 on the PC, um, played things like Total Touring Cars. So I was I was very heavily into motorsport, but I was really lucky that my best friend, Alex, he was into motorsport as well. So like I had someone to talk about it all the time. We'd watch races together, we'd go to events together. And so it kind of just built from there. Honestly, it was just a hobby. Like it was an easy thing for my grandparents to buy me Christmas presents because they knew I'd like racing cars. You know, it was that it was just that thing that if people thought of me, they just thought, well, he just loves motorsport. That's that's what he loves. Um and I just like the world. I like the the speed. I like cars. Um and I decided that's what I wanted to work in from a pretty, pretty early age really. And now I mean from the outside looking in, Lawrence, you're you identified Formula One as an industry you wanted to work in and you're now on F1 TV. You're like, it almost feels like you're, you've reached the the, the, the top. I mean, what I want to ask, I guess, is what's the, the drive? Because I can certainly understand the drive in terms of getting to that place. Now you're in this position. You know, what what drives you on, on that, that daily basis? Uh, is, and is the job, I guess, is the job what you expected it to be? Uh, good questions. Um, firstly, I think I still don't think I've I still don't think I've got to where I've got uh, I've got to where I wanted to get to because I think that when you have an opportunity to do something, so when I went to Autosport and had the opportunity to cover Formula One, traveling to all the races and writing about it, I just moved on to the next thing, which was I wanted to get into broadcasting, and then I've come to Formula One and I've started doing broadcasting, and now I want to try and do more shows. So I think you kind of always just you kind of get a taste for something and then you want to end up trying to do a little bit more of it. Like I never thought I'd enjoy live telly and I love it. Like I get, I love the buzz that you get with it. So I think I'm learning constantly every day is the job. What I thought it would be. Um, it's way better than I thought it would be. I think the hours, you guys will know how hard, the, how long the hours are in motorsport, how hard you're working, how you're kind of always on call. Cause you don't know when something's going to happen. You got to react to things quickly. And, even though it is demanding, I just, I love it more than I thought I would do. And the best thing I can describe it as is I just don't feel like I work. Like, of course we get tired, but I just don't feel like I, I go to work. And I think that was always a dream of mine. I remember my careers advisor laughed when I said, that's what I wanted to do. Cause they were like, no, you have to go get a proper job. And (laughs) you know, I, I, I didn't really know what to say to that as a kid, but, um, I'd love to know what they thought of now, but it's just kind of, 
I just, that's what I always aspired to do. And that's kind of what I'm doing at the minute. And then once you're in this world, when you're in Formula One, there's always things you can do better. You can get to know people better. You can, you can meet more people. You can tell more detailed stories. You can find out more stories and people are constantly changing. So you build those relationships again. Like it's, of course, a lot of it is the same, but equally a lot of it's very different on a weekend to weekend basis. So even though I'm going to to Bahrain, for example, I think oddly, someone told me the other day that Bahrain's the country I've visited the most ever, which I thought was an incredible stat because obviously you had a couple of races in Bahrain that one year. We now do testing there. So you go backwards and forwards. So those kind of things. I'm going to Bahrain, still excited, even though it's like the 15th, mm. 16th time that I've been there, because even though the paddock's the same, even though preseason works the same, there are going to be so many stories to tell. People are going to be excited again. And, you know, there was parts last year where people were not excited about Formula One that I think that that will kind of just get kind of get the excitement kind of buzzing again. Um, and obviously you learn to know people. So you you look forward to seeing people who have become your friends. I feel like I can I can now legitimately walk up to you in the paddock and say hello now because I've I've passed you loads of times. I saw I was in Austin. My last race was Austin. Yeah, Austin last year. And um, and I saw you a few times walking up and down the paddock. I, I seem to recall you had some exceptional footwear on. Um, but, <laughs> probably, uh, yes. Probably, yeah. But um, but I, it's weird. I think when you see people from the telly, and I've worked in motorsport forever, for like 18 years, 19 years, but you still see people from the telly and you think, nah, I'm not going to go. I can't go and say hello. That's, you know, that's Lawrence or, you know, there's there's Will Buxton, who we've had on this show. But even now I'm like, uh, I better, not, better not go say hello because, you know. Oh, no, you should absolutely a, say hello, Tim. I'm you should always say hello. <laughs> yeah, you know, you'll be, I'll be pestering you. You'll be like, bugger off. Listen, <laughs> as much as um, we want to come on to Formula One, there's one thing I do want to cover is your obsession with burgers. Now, you, as you said, you're you're a slight bloke. You know, you're tall. You're you're, you're relatively slim. I can't imagine you could fit many burgers inside that body. But you 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 <laughs> love burgers, don't you? You're a massive burger fan. Tell me more. Well, Tim, I'm making the most of my fast metabolism, uh, wow. and I'll hold on to that for as long as possible. And it just means that I can eat whatever I want all the time. Um, I play a lot of squash, so I feel like maybe I'm burning the calories that way. But um. It all started back in Manchester. Um, I went out for a burger with a mate. Um, and then the way I was talking about the burger, he was like, you should like do a burger ranking. So then it just became a thing. And then obviously I've had, I've got the, the, the joy of traveling the world. So I get to explore so many different burgers and it just became a thing that every place I'd go to, every race would go to, I'd, I'd try and find, I'd sort out a, a, a cool burger. And this, these aren't like chain burgers. These aren't your, your fast food ones. These are like right. independent ones. And then gradually I got a ranking of, I don't know, 120, 130 different burgers from around the world. And uh, people would then start asking me, oh, well, what's the best one to come? Where should I go and eat a burger in Canada? Or where should I go in Austin? And then it kind of just spiraled kind of from that point of view, quite a cool talking point. I really like beef burgers. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of just got out of hand that way, really. I've got two questions off the back of that, Lawrence. First mm. of all, have you set up an Instagram for this? Because I feel like this could oh, be a great good point. Instagram kind of, you come up with a nice handle when it, you cut, you cover it. Um, and and secondly, if you tried Lewis's Neat Burger, because Lewis is an investor in Neat Burger, what do you think? Yeah. Um, so I thought it was very flavoursome, but I think that the patty itself didn't have enough structure to it. And I find that mm. generally with those kind of impossible meat burgers or Beyond Meat Burgers rather, that they the, the structure isn't quite the same as um, a beef burger. So when you bite into it, I just feel like it's just a bit too squidgy. 
like I, I'm, I'm sure yeah. the listeners this is exactly gooey. the detail they wanted to go into but yeah gooey mm. but i thought flavor wise i thought it was very good but, but i thought I it was i thought it was closer to the the fast food element maybe maybe like a five guys shake shack style mm-hmm. level burger whereas i think um something like a patty and bun in london or um mac and wild used to be really good they are kind of more what i would describe as boutique burgers so i guess it just depends on where the, where they fit on the scale love this i mean this could be a <laughs> podcast all on its own i would know. love um, that i would absolutely also love that. before we carry on i just wanted to whenever a guest comes on for anything i'm mm-hmm. doing and they mention touring cars i like to get out my touring car book oh um, look at that that that's I like beeler I mean, and menu isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, this was bought for me when I was like a kid. This is like one of my, my greatest motorsport heirlooms. So we'll have to, um, from John Tipler, I'll have to go through it sometime. But yeah, that go. is very what your, cool. What, what, what car stands era. out to you of this generation? Because you had the Volvo. It, it, it was the yellow Renault. It was the yellow Renault. Oh, yeah. I thought that was the Audi. So it was the Volvo. So it was like, was that Rydell? This is getting very niche Ricard, now. But... Ricard Rydell. Rydell, yeah. Yeah, because that was a Williams-engineered car, wasn't it, that Renault? Yeah, so I think Alamenu was my favourite driver. And I remember I met him when he was racing Chevrolets in the world. Was it the World Touring Legend. Cars? And he was just the loveliest man. Oh, yeah, he did man. do World Touring Cars, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's just the loveliest man. <sighs> Love it. God. Love it. Sorry, Tim, carry Look on. You I'm going to bring it back down to base level. So we've done burgers. I know you two want to talk about uh, touring cars and stuff like Formula One, like we should. I want to talk about squash. So I I know you've played Carlos Sainz at squash and you beat him. Are you, I haven't seen the footage. Are you a very good squash player? Because Lawrence, I, I rate myself as a squash player and I remain unbeaten for about the last 10 years amongst my circle of friends. Is this a call I'm out? a weapon a call in out? Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire. So if we go Ooh. to a race together, I think we should have a game of squash and uh, and winner takes all the spoils or buys the burgers or something like that. Absolutely, Tim. Um, I never say no to a, a game of squash. Um, I'm, intri- I'm intrigued to know that you rate yourself. Oh, but yeah. You're publicly saying that. So yeah. that's given me a bit of an insight into uh, your game. So uh, I take any edge that I, I can, this. Tim. Any edge that I can. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, yeah, I love it. I didn't know you were a player, Tim. So I'm always up for it. a game. I'm obsessed. Um, I love it. It's Yeah, I've played Carlos a fair few times now. I played his dad, who was a two-time Spanish champion, Carlos Sainz Sr. You didn't um, beat not, him, presumably. No, I've not okay. managed to beat him. It's That is one of the my life goals, is to beat Carlos Sainz Sr. at squash. Um, the guy's an athlete, so uh, one day. But um, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool thing um, that I get to do when I travel the world. It's one of the sports that um, I find I managed to find time to play. We generally find squash courts in most countries go to Tim, so we won't yeah. have a problem depending on the races that we meet. But um, it kind of all starts. Maybe, maybe we go paddle. Yeah, that seems very fashionable. I've only played that twice, yeah. so I can't promise you that I'm going to give you the quality of game that you might expect. But um, I still would never say no to a game. I love this. So we're going to make this happen. I've got to think about what my schedule is. I mean, you'll be at all the races, presumably, won't you? So, um, or I'm near doing enough. about 18, so near cool. enough, yeah, yeah, near enough, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, you, you've said it now publicly, so this is going to happen. Oh, don't worry, I won't um, go back on it, don't worry. <laughs> let's turn our attention back to the reason we're here and Formula yes. One. So take us back. What was your first opportunity in Formula One? How did that come about? So the first one technically was when uh, I was still at uni and I managed to get a media pass to the British Grand Prix. Um, the press officer at the time, John Horton, um, 
kind of looked at our uni magazine and looked favorably on me and gave me a pass to go to the race to cover it. And that's kind of when I had the first opportunity to meet press officers who work for teams, uh, interview some drivers, uh, get to know other journalists working in the press room, kind of start to see how um, our strange world of motorsport and Formula One works. And so that was the first real insight. But my first proper gig was, was when I was at Sport Magazine. And it was a weekly magazine that used to get given at tube stations. Um, uh, kind of like shortlist. I think that still exists right in London. And uh, I went there and I was obviously interested in motorsport, but no one else there was. None of the staff writers, the senior writers had any interest in it. Um, they were just interested in football, cricket, rugby. So I said to my editor, because the, the way the magazine worked was they needed a face on the on the cover every week. So it had to be a big name interview. And so at that time, you were having Johnny Wilkinson's, Wayne Rooney's, um, that kind of like level of, of character, Usain Bolt. And so I said, well, okay, well, if I can get, like at the time, it would have been Lewis, Jensen, Michael, Fernando. Those were the kind of the big names at the time. If I could get an interview with them, um, can I get on the cover? And he was like, well, yeah, of course you can. Bear in mind, this is my first proper job in, in the uh, first proper paid job. And I honestly think he just didn't think I'd be able to do it. But I remember I went to, I contacted the sponsors. So I went the sponsor route. So I tried Vodafone for McLaren. I did Monster for Schumacher. Um, um, I did Mobile One for McLaren as well. I just went kind of down that route. And I think within a year, I'd interviewed all of those. So I'd interviewed Jensen, Lewis, um, Fernando and Michael. And that kind of was great for me contacts wise because I got to learn I got to meet the right press officers you know who are still working in Formula One at the minute um, I got to start to get FaceTime with drivers and put myself under pressure to see if I could cope with um, t- talking to what I would have described as heroes you know when I was watching them on telly um, so and I, I kind of managed to do it it was quite I found it quite a stressful experience I'd write all my questions down I'd, I'd over prepare myself for each of those kind of instances but turned out all right I kind of honed my writing skill um there and then the more you do it the, you, the more you get the hunger to do it even more so that was kind of my first real opportunity and I had three years at Sport Mag and that kind of gave me the confidence that I could do feature writing about motorsport about Formula One I could do interviewing and that possibly if I wanted to pursue this going forward which because interviewing is what I really love to do um I reckoned I backed myself to do it and that was probably the first real chance the real first time I I really realized that that's interesting because I feel like I've heard something similar I think it was when I was chatting to Chris Medland and he said something along the lines of you know you go into this environment everyone's wanting to do football that's obviously the big one in the UK um and then kind of by positioning yourself to motorsport, you make yourself stand out. And then all of a sudden these opportunities manifest because, you know, they're so, and I guess maybe it's different now, obviously, I guess going into with F1 being a lot bigger than it, than it was, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, maybe that's slightly different. But it's interesting that that's not the first time I've heard that um, kind of angle way in, I suppose. And, and it's, it's paid off big time because was it always kind of, was it for you F1 or bust or would you have been interested in it experiencing the same kind of um, journalistic side, at least to start with, with, with other sports? Uh, I definitely, no, it was all sports really, because when I went to the BBC, I ended up covering the London 2012 Olympics. I covered all the Wimbledon tennis and they were two like sports that I love on a personal level. So, you know, I watch the Olympics every year. I follow the individual world championships and European championships. Same with tennis. I watch all the Grand Slams and kind of follow what's going on there. So 
I had like a wide range of sports that I really enjoyed, but Formula One was, I don't really know why, but it was the golden ticket for me. That was the one that I wanted to get to. Um, When I was at sport, I experienced the World Rally Championship. I did MotoGP. I interviewed Valentino Rossi. Um, I did World Touring Cars. I covered a lot of different motorsport events. And I think I would have been, I would really have enjoyed a role where I could do lots of motorsports. But the more time I spent in the Formula One world, what I really wanted to do was kind of get to a spot roughly where I'm getting to now where you kind of where you know everyone and it's and you know the detail of things and the only way you can do that is if you fully commit to that sport because people often ask me oh do you cover f2 and f3 and f4 um and f1 academy at race weekends i'm like i I try to follow it as much as i can and i try to watch what i can but like formula one is so consuming that if you want to do it properly in my opinion that you just you can't ever not be fully focused if you've got time from a work perspective to put it into formula one, because you never know what you'll learn. You'll never know when you'll read a cool thing. You'll never know when you'll meet a cool person. And I think to be the, at least the way I approach it, to be the best in that arena, you have to zero in at one point when you're trying to then make that big step um, into one sport, I think. And you've obviously got to know a lot of different people in the paddock um, from people within the teams to um, the drivers themselves. Have you become pally and or buddies with any of the drivers? I think I think that's kind of natural in a way because you end up spending so much time with them. Um, there are naturally certain drivers that you get on well with. Like, for example, I get on really well with Carlos Sainz because he likes burgers and he likes squash. So you've already got two quite, um, quite easy things to talk about a lot of the time. So therefore, when you're at races, um, we do a lot of those things, eat burgers together and, and play squash. So yeah, I think you do, the more time you spend with them, um, you do become friends with them but also I just like people like I like I like making friends I like getting to know people and so I wouldn't say that I'm definitely friends with drivers but I do feel like I get on with a lot of them to the point where I would see them outside of a racetrack um and I think that that only enhances my ability to do my job when things are getting serious you know when we sit down and do a one-to-one interview or like when we did the video when I went to play squash with Carlos the reason why I think those ones kind of worked was because I have a good relationship with them like I did a ice bath I sat in an ice bath with Yuki Sonoda in uh, Singapore last year and that only came about because I got to know him pretty well and he was he was willing to do that outside of his normal media commitments like I just did the ice bath with him when he was going to do the ice bath so I think some of those things only really happen if you do build those kind of relationships with them so yeah I get on I'm really lucky that I do get on with a lot of the drivers just a just a question on the ice bath because my wife Chloe's been barking on about getting one was it the worst thing you've ever done was it awful no I I no it was actually the best thing I've ever done and I say that because I had the feelings the muscle, okay, the moment in which you put yourself in the ice, okay, is probably not the most fun time you've ever had. But yeah. once you're in, then your bones start to hurt a little bit. Again, not the oh, most fun great. you've ever had. Yeah. But yeah. you get out of the ice bath, and I reckon I did two hits of between two and a half minutes and three minutes. I did two times uh, that with a 45 minute, 45 second break in between. My muscles felt good for three or four days afterwards. Like mm. I've never had that kind of recovery after I'd played squash that morning. I've never had that kind of recovery after a proper sport workout. So, um, and I was lucky that I had Michael Italiano, who's Yuki's tra- who was Yuki's oh, yeah. trainer at the time. And he was there. So he knew, he told me how to prep for it. So I had a load of cold showers beforehand. He told me how to get my breathing under control. 
he told me, you know, I knew how long I should be in there. I knew the right amount of ice was in there. Like it was a controlled environment. Um, although I'm pretty sure he put more ice in mine just to see how I would react. But um, but it was I was very fortunate that I had that kind of setup, and um, I've done them since at home. So I've put I've wow. bought bags, massive bags of ice. It's not the same because you need like eight or nine bags of ice, and I haven't got time to keep going to get eight nine bags. But I've done ice baths per se, just as recoveries, um, a reco- as a recovery from playing squash, and it definitely definitely works. Wow, you gonna okay. get one, Tim? No, I what not? Oh, Tim, I haven't convinced you. <laughs> the no, pitch, the pitch I, was good. It was compelling. It was a good pitch. I love the idea of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I we we watched that show. I can't remember what it was called. With all these celebrities, they went to this place with that famous guy that does the breathing techniques. Can't remember his name. And they were all in there doing all these. They started off doing the cold showers. They would have a warm shower and then they'd switch it to cold. I was like, well, I'll start with that. I'll try that first. I just can't do it. Like my hand won't turn to make it go cold. I'm just such a pathetic human being. So I'm like, the, the idea of the ice bath is great. I just don't think I'd get in it. Um, but we'll see. I think Chloe, you know, she rules the roost. So I'll probably I, end up I think one the year. answer is to just not do exercise. So you don't need one. Um, That's, my <laughs> That's my Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible or anime and under this mask is another mask (laughs) you can discover your new favorites right here on the anime effect listen every friday wherever you get your podcast and watch full video episodes on crunchyroll or on the crunchyroll youtube channel hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, anyway. Um, Lawrence, around this question, actually, I I find it really interesting because sports people and their relationship with the media is always something and typically i think historically has been perceived as quite quite and you hear a lot about the negative relationship that sports people have with the media i guess and it's like how do you because it's your job to to you know as a broadcaster and you're giving your own opinions and your own takes as well as you know telling the story of the weekend these drivers you know the context as well if you interview someone straight after a, a bad drive or they've been caught up in an incident and you plenty of instances where you hear drivers blowing up on i think daniel kvyat was quite a, a good example he'd give some pretty out there sound bites after some uh, some run-ins on track um you know how do you it must be quite difficult to, to manage these relationships because you have relationships with these drivers as human beings, but you're talking about 
their sport. And I don't know, do you feel like there's more of a mutual understanding within Formula One maybe compared to other sports? I just I just find that a really interesting dynamic. I think that, I think so long as the question that you ask is fair, then I think that they, that your, your driver or your team boss who, or your engineer you're asking, they can never they can never really have a problem with that. I think it's more if you were to phrase a question um, aggressively or you are more pointed or you've maybe make it had make, put an accusation within your question that maybe puts them on the back foot that I feel like you're then in slightly diff- a difficult position because they might have slightly more reason to be irritated with the way that you're trying to get answers from them. So I, so I think that I, I do have to, kind of walk a tightrope when you're interviewing because you have to you have to maintain this relationship because I interview the drivers what four or five times over a race weekend at all the races I go to so you've got to make sure that you've got a working relationship with them so that they will always give you good sound bites or a, a level of content so that you've got something for your bosses essentially but I think that actually the better relationship you have the better chances you are going to have of getting good content on those really difficult days. So I found interviewing Lewis the last couple of years when he's not winning a real challenge because obviously he is in a spot where he's not used to and he's not used to having to answer the same sort of questions every weekend, which is, well, why are you struggling? And especially when he hasn't effectively got an answer for it. But what I found is because I've known him since he was in GP2, that even if there are are weekends where um, I maybe ask a question that that he maybe doesn't like the look of or he kind of feels like he wants to tease me a little bit, he'll always do it in a way where he won't he won't be aggressive about it. He won't be nasty about it. He'll just he'll he'll say whatever he's got to say, know that he's given me uh, grief and then wink at me when he leaves. You know, it's just that kind of thing where I think the relationship building with the drivers is important because I've still got to ask him, well, why did you not deliver today? Why did you have that accident? What, you know, was it your fault? You've got to ask those questions, otherwise you're not doing your job. But you've just got to ask it in a way that isn't isn't unfair, essentially. And then I think that they can never have a problem with it. And then if you do feel you ever do an interview, or I ever feel like I do an interview that hasn't gone that well, I'll just go and find them afterwards and talk to them about it. And see you know if they're annoyed why they're annoyed why I said the question the way I said it what you know why I had to ask and then have a discussion about it and that's happened like three or four times maybe over the course of um, my time in Formula One where I felt the need to go and have a chat to the driver and it's always been quite a, um, a difficult thing to do but I've always found it's it's been worth it it's always worth doing it in the end. And when you're not trackside presumably there's a lot of other things that you need to be doing and busying yourself with in your role. What do you do when you're not at a racetrack or traveling to a racetrack? Where are you? Like, are you, are you remote working? Are you in an office somewhere? What, what are you doing? So I think that is the, when anyone asks me about that, I think this is the greatest surprise that they get is that I actually have a job between the, you know, the Thursday to Sunday that we are at racetracks covering stuff. So it's planning really. So at the, at the minute, minute that we're talking now, um, I'm working remotely um, at home. I, we've got a London office at from um, in Piccadilly Circus. We've got Biggin Hill where the television side of things is based. So I will probably do those spots maybe three, four or five times a month when I'm in the country um, because it's good to meet people. It's good to talk to the marketing department, the communications department, the sponsorship department. It's good to have a feel of what's going on within the business 
Um, but also to see the colleagues that I work with remotely a lot, because a lot of the time when I'm at a racetrack, I'm talking to people who are in Biggin Hill or SJM or at home. And I think it's always good to have FaceTime with people who are your colleagues essentially and, and enhance the, the work and relationship that you've got. But like this week, I'm spending planning car launches, which will start the f- start of February. I'm writing features. I do a lot of analysis, opinion, uh, comment, that kind of thing for Formula1.com. So writing is a big part of my job in between race weekends. And then it's kind of working with the team to come up with all of the video ideas that we plan to do over the course of the year. So, you know, that I mentioned that ice bath um, feature that we did. It, it was two and a half minutes that ran on YouTube and F1 TV, but that was maybe five, six meetings that we'd had beforehand. It was meetings with the team. It was discussions with the team. It was ideas, ideas, sessions. It's just, there's a lot of kind of build up to those kind of things that we do. So I get a kick out of doing those kind of planning sessions and this time of year as well, because it's a little bit less pressured. Like we're not doing 16, 15, 16 hour days at the minute. So it's a good time to kind of think with kind of a clear head about what we can do this year that's different, how we can go and improve the content that we offer across Formula1.com, across YouTube, our YouTube channels, our social channels, F1 TV. It's just trying to come up, using this time to come up with that. And then in between races, you're always assessing what had happened and seeing how you can cover that and inform people the best and how you can promote and inform people about what's coming up so it's kind of it is relentless um in a really positive way so how does car launches for example right every year same time of year what we've already had i think four announced um how does a planning session for the car launches work? Are you trying to juggle or right, which ones do I go to because there's some on the same day? Is it that kind of stuff or is it more kind of creative content ideas to cover the car? Because we don't know what the car is going to look like and we don't know what the teams are going to say. Yeah, so a lot of the time is actually spent talking to the teams and before they've publicly announced what they're going to do, getting an understanding of what kind of event they're planning, what kind of assets they're going to be putting out, what kind of driver time there is, what kind of event it is. You know, they might have a show car, not the real car. They might just be doing a livery. So it's trying to get an idea of what they're all planning and then trying to see how we can make the most out of it. So like, for example, this year, Red Bull, it's going to be their 20th year. So like, that is a cool story that a team has made it to 20 years they've been so successful so it'll be built about building content that works on video social written and f1 tv that kind of tells that story so it's kind of coming up with ideas of what we can gather at the launch date what we can gather beforehand what we can find in the archives because we've obviously got access to all of this footage over the decades so it's coming up with the ideas and then resourcing how how we need to do that so my kind of specific role is kind of liaising with the teams working all of that out, getting all of the information. I will try and do all of the car launches. So it's talking to the travel team and working out if it's physically possible to get from one to point A to point B um, in one go. It's kind of working even little things out, logistics, like how are we going to get footage back if we're sending a slender team? Like, is there enough Wi-Fi at the location we're going to? You know, have we got enough time to get, have we got a producer on at 3 a.m. because of the time zone change? So it's kind of, it's a little bit of everything in trying to plan it's launch season is like a season in itself is the way that I look at it. So it's 10 bespoke events that you will do. And, you know, some teams will just release images and obviously that's a slightly lighter lift, but other teams will do a full on event and make lots of people available. So it's kind of, it's kind of a mixture. Um, I love that kind of part of the year because it's, it's very different. It's different every year. I know obviously they all release something there's always images and people are excited about the livery but the event itself is always different whereas obviously when you go to a racetrack 
Thursday's the same, it's media day, Friday's the same, it's practice day. So I kind of like the kick out of that unpredictability and, and working in a slightly different environment. Now, looking ahead to this year, it's weird saying this year, 2024, but looking ahead yeah. to 2024, um, First of all, what races are you really excited about? Where are you looking forward to going? And who do you think we should look out for this year? I mean, we all know that Max is probably going to smash it again. But who do you think is going to be one to look out for? Perhaps a dark horse for 2024? Um, I think it's going to be a much better season, honestly, than it was last year. I think that the law of averages say that Red Bull just can't possibly be as dominant as they were last year because I think everyone will generally catch up and the gains that they can make will be smaller relative to what everyone else is trying to achieve behind them. I think that, um, I think dark horse wise, I think McLaren and the way that Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri interact this year when consistently fighting for the top position is going to be interesting. I'd, it's difficult to call a dark horse because if you look at how last year went, you had Aston Martin who were really strong for a period. You had a McLaren who were really strong for a period of the year. You had obviously Red Bull as a standard at the top and you kind of had Ferrari there or thereabouts. So I'm not sure. I don't expect like an, um, a Sauber to come blazing through out of nowhere. I think that this year it's probably going to be marginal gains for everyone. But I do think teams like Mercedes will probably find a way forward a little bit quicker than everyone else because I think they finally realized their old concept didn't work and I just don't think they'll make the same mistake twice. So I expect them to be more for um, a force. I, th- I expect Lewis to win races this year um, for the first time since 2021. Um, I expect there to be more po- people on the podium, more different people on the podium. I expect even if Max goes and wins 13, 14 races, I just expect what happens behind him to be a bit more mixed up. Um, and it's for that reason that I'm looking forward to races like Australia um, to go back to Vegas again because that was the best race of the season and they'll just do that event so much better now they've had that experience of that first year. Um, I'm looking forward to going to events like Miami because they've got a sprint, so I'm excited to see how they, that goes. So there's lots of like little stories within stories that I think um, we'll be talking about this year and then we'll have the driver market to talk about. You know, Will Checo do enough to save his seat for 25 and beyond? Will Checo be in the car all year? You know, is Daniel Ricciardo going to be strong enough? I I think that Alpha Tauri or whatever that team ends up being called this year um, is going to be very, very strong. And that means Daniel Ricciardo could be, be getting big results. I think he's going to be strong, but I think he could be showing on the classification as, as doing a good job and Red Bull will have some decisions to make. So I think there's lots of talking points. And I think it's, I was looking at this earlier, I think it's 14 drivers are out of contract at the end of yep. the year. And that's, that, that's assuming that Lance Stroll always gets a contract and the others, the other f- uh, five have contracts. So um, that, that will be a massive talking point this year, I think. But even with Lance 2025, Aston Martin going into WEC. So there's arguably an opportunity to, you know, he'd have had eight full seasons in F1 by the end of 2024 with Lance. So, you know, even, even then I think with Aston Martin having that project, there's, that's less of a guarantee than ever, in my opinion, anyway, that, that Lance would be in that seat. But there's so many, like, even like technical, you've got what Rob Marshall and David Sanchez joined McLaren, but they won't mm-hmm. actually start to, you know, they've just joined because they're gardening leave. So you won't actually start to see their, you know, introduction payoff for a while. You've got what Pat Fry at Williams, he's only just joined. So his fingerprint isn't going to be seen until maybe 25, 26. Um, I, I got a feeling about Ferrari. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm working on a video. And I'm going through Ferrari and I'm looking at all their, you know, um, you've got, is it, Ra- Ra- oh, who's the new, the uh, the new strategy guy at Ferrari? Ravin. 
Ravin. Ravin, Ravin. He's yeah. yeah, he started at this and it feel feel like last year Ferrari didn't really have much in the way of strategy issues last season, which is something they're historically quite known for. Their pit stops are really good. Their driver partnership's the most balanced partnership in F1, if you ask me, and it's the best partnership to fight for a world title. I I'm I don't know. Every year, Lawrence, I'm like Ferrari, <laughs> and they're like talking about 30 points of downforce. And I'm like, please just give Charles the car. Because <laughs> surely he can do it. Surely he can do it. I think so. I actually I agree with you that they are probably the best lineup from a perspective that if they had a world championship contending car, I think they would be the strongest constructors proposition for the, that championship. And I think that I think Carlos would push Charles very close. It would just depend on who had the the better worst weekends and then how that would affect the the, the overall points. But, you know, Charles got how many poles last year? Six, seven, eight, I can't remember. But, you know, he just clearly has that ultimate pace. I, I'm encouraged by the fact that Fred was so happy at the end of last year. And what I mean by that is it doesn't look like he's being ground down yet. It doesn't look like the, the politics that makes managing Ferrari so difficult seem to be affecting him. And he's exactly the kind of character that should be able to absorb that because he's just a nice guy who just doesn't care about it. He knows how, he knows it's important and he'll take it seriously, but he just doesn't care about it. So now he's had one year to kind of settle in. I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do this year. I do feel like it's marginal gains, though, in terms of what that... I don't think they can make a massive jump. And I do think they're going to be sensible about how they do their resource versus 26, because that really is the spot where they can create a new cycle. But I do think that they'll be closer. I agree. I do think they'll be closer this year. Um, and with that driver lineup, with Carlos, if you give him a car that is good, he will get the maximum result out of it. And I just don't think there are many drivers on the grid that you can say that for, like consistently will deliver. So even if he maybe doesn't have that outright brilliant pace that Charles can turn on to get those pole positions, I actually think he's a better proposition from in terms of scoring. So yeah, I think they've got a great shot this year. I just hope they aren't Ferrari about it and that they haven't out, you know, they haven't outthought themselves over winter and, and tried too hard. And and one more thing about Charles, I think as well, like, you know, there's a lot of people rightfully, and, and I, I don't know if I agree, maybe I do agree that Charles arguably has even better one lap pace than Max Verstappen. And Max Verstappen has already made himself a candidate for one of the greatest to ever do it. So the standard, and you're looking at how highly, you know, how well Lando's driving. Um, Alex had a really you know, fantastic season. Lewis as well, his consistency was was crazy in, in, in 2023. So I think we're, we're, the drivers are there, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, Fernando as well. You know, you've got, you've got more than, more than I've got fingers on my hand, drivers who, given the machinery, can definitely fight for a world title. And that's why I agree, Lawrence. I, I think 24, maybe that's just cope, but I feel like it's going to be, sometimes, you know, if, if you don't know what you've got until you've, lost it or whatever the term is right so if 2023 you have a little bit of a lull but then you have a really banging season after that that's why that's why i think anyway tim i don't know about you who's your, who's your little dark horse tim for, for 24 dark horse i mean i mean like you say it's not going to be we're not going to see a salber or a, a stake uh flying up the grid um i don't know i mean i i'd like to see i i want to see piastri have a really strong season i i just think he's such a classy driver and, um, you know, calling it between him and Lando is going to be really interesting to see who, who comes out on top in that relationship. But I've, I've just got, there's something about Oscar that um, that I like. I like his sort of calm, collected demeanor. You know, he's a young guy, but he just seems to have his head screwed on. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. 
Um, and like you say, you know, people like Danny Rick, I, I just, he, he's, he's had such a rough few years. I'd love to see him actually do well um, and prove to people that he's still got it because I think a lot of people think he probably hasn't necessarily um, got the minerals anymore to have a consistently big season. So we'll see. I don't know. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see McLaren keep keep their momentum going um, in, in every way. I mean, they're, they're smashing it in so many different areas, not just on the track getting better and better, but the, you know what Zach's done from you know my world in the sponsorship world, seeing them win brand after brand after brand. It seems like every other day they're announcing a new partnership. Um, I think what they're doing for Formula One is fantastic. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year for sure. Um, now, Lawrence, we've kept you for long enough. <laughs> we we do have a final three that mm-hmm. we ask all of our guests. Um, now, Tom, you've done yourself proud and actually got your notes with you this time. So I'm going to come Round to you. Round of applause, everyone, to me. Thank you. Yeah. Well done, yeah. you. Well done. Thank you. Ever thank the you, pro um, <laughs> for question number one. Go on then. So, Lawrence, question one. What's got you most excited at the moment? Could be in professional, personal circumstances, whatever. What's 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 fire under you right now, Lawrence? What are you feeling excited about? Um, I'm excited about the fact that uh, I got married last year. So what I'm excited about. Thank you very much. So what I'm excited about is that kind of the next chapter and how I kind of intersperse my career and my personal life and try and get that balance of loving my job that I love doing, loving seeing the world and trying to get a better balance where I see, spend time with my family and my friends. So I'm excited about what 2024 um, has got uh, in store. I'm excited about the fact that I've I've planned my year out already, really, saying I've never been this prepared. So I feel like I've got good, clear weekends where I know I'm doing these things and I feel like I've got a good balance between work and play already. Uh, So, yeah, I'm excited about being as prepared as I've ever been. Very good. Well, uh, just to add another date to your probably ridiculously hectic diary, 30th of May. I don't think we've announced this yet. 30th of May, we're going to have, so we have an annual karting event. Um, at Wilton Mill and loads of pro drivers come along and celebrities and Tom's there I mean what more do you want you know when you come most sports celebrities celebrity Um, but there's um, (laughs) we've had Liam Lawson he's been there before we've had Max Chilton and various um, WEC and um, uh, pro carters through to Formula 1 drivers Um, and last year Aston Martin sent the team Janetta won it Alpine came. It's a really fun day. Oh, cool. Um, but 30th of May, it's in a gap, I think, between, um, I feel like it's, it's after Monaco, Monaco and, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah, must be after Monaco. Yeah. So if you're around, we could talk about it, you know, nearer the time. But 30th of May, sticking your diary is a potential. It's a really fun afternoon. You just want to um, see how bad at Carton I am, don't you? Yeah. But you can't be any worse than me. <laughs> and Tim, can I'm we get some baller. ballast on those uh, Alpine Aston Martin teams? For, for, yeah, yeah, I definitely. feel like, you know, come on, come on, give me Absolutely. a chance. I had, po- I had a podium the year before that. But um, there was no chance last year. Far too good. No, it, it was a high standard, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, it's good fun. And if any, if anybody else wants to come, you can enter your team, motormouthcartrace.com. Go and have a look. It's in support of the Brain Tumor Charity and Movember. Um, and uh, yeah, go and have a look at it. See what you think. Enter your team online, which will, the, the booking portal will be open in the next couple of days. Um, right, second question for you. What's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Um, don't worry when you get something wrong or you've had a bad day or you've had a bad like interview or you've got something wrong or you've made a mistake. I think early on in my career, I used to give myself a real hard time over those, uh, those things. And obviously it's not ideal if you make a mistake in copy or 
you ask a, a bad question or some of the content doesn't work or some of the footage gets deleted by mistake of course it's not ideal but I think the thing that I've learned is there's there's no point in giving yourself too much of a hard time about it it's just making sure that you you are better the next time around. So I think it's trying to get that balance between being hard on yourself and trying to push yourself and not being too hard on yourself um, to make sure that you are better next time around. Sound advice. I like that. I like that. And finally, Lawrence, final question. What are you scared of? So like so many things, like Tommy, I don't know how long you've got, like, I'm afraid of needles. How many things so, are you scared of? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm afraid of needles. So I hate blood tests, vaccinations, um, that kind of thing. So having COVID jabs was not a great time for me. Um, I hate spiders. I hate snakes. Um, I hate heights. Um, I used to Same. hate flying, but I forced myself into not hating flying. Um, I could go on. So there's a number of things that, um, <laughs> I'm scared of rather embarrassingly. <laughs> no, no, I think, I mean, that. those are fair. Those are fairly common ones, at least. I think most people, I mean, no one really likes a needle, do they? And, uh, and I'm with you on the spiders thing. Everyone hates spiders. Is it, is it like a proper phobia? Like if you see a spider, do you actually freak out? Um, I, fr- I like freeze, which is a really deeply unhelpful mm. thing to do in that <laughs> particular scenario, particularly when my wife hates them as well. So really it's just no, it's just no good. Just so. A- a couple of uh, Berettos just standing yeah. there staring <laughs> at a spider. Essentially that. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I didn't, the snake thing is only because when I was younger, my parents took us to Bird World and they, uh, but they also had other kind of creatures there and they put, they did, did that photo where you can have a snake on your head. Oh God. And I did it and it was fine when I had that photo, but then someone else got bit, like another kid got bit by the snake. Oh Christ. And I was just like, well, that's horrible, isn't it? So that yeah. it was that experience that um, really put me off them. Like I know generally snakes aren't that great anyway, but seeing that kind of in real life was quite unpleasant. So I feel like that's a fair phobia because the reason I'm scared yeah. of needles is when we had our MMR jab at school, um, a girl screamed and another nurse jumped and broke the needle in someone else's arm oh so okay these so, are rational so. these are rational fears you're having you're th- yeah. these are not fo- these are rational fears like i've got a phobia of cockroaches right and i've Ooh. i've seen one twice in my life and i swear i i sprinted i was i was having dinner in in a nice little um restaurant in ibiza and i saw it and i went i, I think the server thought i was just running um but yeah, it was because it's as in you and just got irrational. up from your table and yeah, ran yeah, away. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And it was massive as well. This thing was huge. I mean, it was from a distance, but it was like you. That's oh, that's a, that was cool. Cool. cockroaches are nasty. Anything I, from I you, get Tim? That. Yeah, I've got um, trichophobia. What is that? Uh, it's the fear of tiny multiple holes. Okay. Yeah, it's an actual thing. Wow, so and it's, you, it's, let, let me get a picture up for. for uh, don't. It, no, you it, can look honestly, away. It makes my, it's horrible. It's the. It's, you're gonna I mean, it is pretty like. Something. It is pretty. Fr- oh, this is like a. It's really, really common, and um, loads of people don't know they have it until they look at a pit eye. See, it's not going to focus. There you go. Oh yeah, that's it. it. Yeah, all of that. Oh my uh, god. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah okay. I mean, oh, there is that, there is something yeah. quite odd about that, though, isn't there? Honestly, it it keeps me up at night. Like. I don't know what it is. It's a really odd thing. And some airports have uh, those kind of roofs. Like in Abu Dhabi, they've 
I think it's Abu Dhabi or one of those. They, they've got like little holes in the roof and I just can't escape it. But it's it makes my skin crawl for no apparent reason. It's really weird, but loads of people have it. So if anyone's listening, wow. I've talked about this quite a lot on this show. Maybe I should do a trypophobia podcast. But you, you if you go and Google it and look at some of the images, I guarantee, you know, one in three or four people will have a complete meltdown when they look at the screen. It's, it's a weird thing. But that's not the weirdest. I mean, Crofty said he was scared of tea bags. I think he was just pulling my legs. <laughs> he like, must my leg. be. I don't, he must be. I don't understand that one. Pulling Someone else had killer whales. I was like, really? Killer whales? Um, okay. So we've had some odd ones. Yeah. Okay. But um, but yeah, spiders, snakes, you know, they tend to be the usual. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Nothing. I've got nothing so. quirky for you, I'm afraid, chaps. Nothing quirky. That's all right. We'll, we'll take your unquirky ones. <laughs> um, Lawrence, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um brilliant career and and it's got so much more to come so best of luck with everything in 2024 um hopefully we'll see you in a paddock at some stage throughout the season we will come up to you and bug you and shake your hands and uh, and maybe take you for a burger and and um and a game of squash but um for now thank you so much for joining us on the motormouth podcast no worries thank you very much for uh, having me guys and it's been great to chat so yeah i appreciate it and yes definitely come and say hello if uh, we bump into each other Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MNTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.